Hello and welcome to the Rope Access and Climbing Podcast. I am your host, Mikey Stevenson, and today I'm joined with Mark from Ronin Rescue, and we're going to be talking about his experience at Grimp Day. If this is your first time here, please make sure to subscribe and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Step into your harness and get ready for a podcast about the vertical world. On to today's episode, I sat down with Mark from Ronin Rescue. He's uh, competed at Grimp Day several times over the years, uh, as we'll dive into that here at this episode. Also, we dive into the information you would require to register a team yourself. So stay tuned and get ready as we bring in Mark from Ronin Rescue. I guess we'll dive into introductions first of all. So, uh, who are you? Where are you from? And what do you do? Okay, um, Mark Pfeiffer. I work with Ronin Rescue. I'm also a captain on a Metro Vancouver Fire Department. I in charge of a rescue, heavy rescue there. Um, yeah, uh, got a lot of NFPA style courses, obviously for running that particular job. Um, hazmat fire officer all the thousand six tech for um, heavy rescue Uh, sprat level three uh, acmg climbing gym instructor work with a local ground search and rescue team and do ropes with them Um, qualified trade safety coordinator and cso plus uh, certified health and safety consultant Uh, yeah long line helo cast parachute all that sort of jazz as well. So does that kind of sum it up? <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Um, so well-versed in uh, the vertical world um, and well-versed in the rescue line, uh, rescue side of things. Yeah, Sprat Level 3 as well. I don't know if I mentioned that one as well. So real yeah, access, rescue, all the rest of it, yeah. Awesome. So that's great. So today we're going to be uh, touching on the Grimp Day. So as myself, I've uh, competed in the uh, rope trip a couple times and took the world championship there. Um, Now, Mark, you've uh, competed all over the world within the Grimp Day umbrella. Um, Can you explain to our viewers and listeners here, what is Grimp Day? Um, Grimp is an acronym, actually, in French. That basically translated into English is the Reconnaissance and Intervention in Dangerous Environments Group. That's what GRIMP stands for, for the direct translation into English. So think of it like a fire department technical rescue team here, but with some add-ons. There's some stuff they don't do. There's some stuff they do that we don't. Um, And a lot of times it can either be a tertiary duty, like we have some, you know, a lot of places, or it's a rescue that's staffed. But in some areas, the Grimp team, that's all it is, is they just do rescue for that geographical location. So whether that be helicopter, water, you know, so they have quite a broad, you know, rope, confined space. They have quite a broad um, mandate from that. And it just depends on whereabouts you're located and obviously the funding and whatnot. Grimp Day is a challenge and it started, um, 13, 14 years ago now in Namur, Belgium, set up by the firefighters of Namur. 
and they've come through and they've created a competition. It used to be a one day competition, then it moved to two. And now it's kind of like a two and a half day competition. And it's basically to test rope rescue skills kind of as they see rope rescue. We can chat about that in a bit, but rope rescue skills in real world, it's, you know, live patient timed you're up at, you know, 300, you know, feet, 200 feet. So the only difference between that and a real scenario is basically the severity of injury to the victim. Um, you know, the stress of doing it for real, the stress of competition is, you know, fairly similar to the live patients. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a great event in that way. Did that kind of, uh, fill out what you're looking for there? Yeah, no, I think it gives a good, uh, wealth of information on like what Grimp Day is. So when, when pre people, take this information afterwards and just kind of search Grimp Day, it'll kind of give them an idea of what uh, to expect. It's obviously drastically different from what Rope Trip is. And I think that speaking to you will kind of, you know, be able to put both of them into perspective because obviously the people that follow this, more rope access based, more rope uh, trip based, and then just introducing the Grimp Day side of things to the conversation. So welcome and thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Um, how many of these competitions have you personally attended? Uh, 13 I have been to either as a competitor, as an evaluator or as event staff. Okay. So you've taken kind of on, uh, other roles and other than a competitor. So you've helped run things. You've helped be a judge at these competitions, um, organize them and just make sure that things run smoothly then. Yeah. And it's been interesting. I mean, to look at it and, you know, from an instructor's hat on and other different hats that you wear, being able to evaluate other people quite often their you know, English isn't their first language. So it's a, uh, it's a challenge to get your message across to them at the end or to stop them. If there is some sort of incident that occurs or something that you view as unsafe and then having that conversation with them to go, you know, this is why you can or, perhaps can't do something and uh even the, the setup like helping out with cmc for grim day north america going in and doing the reconnaissance setting up the scenarios um something i kind of didn't mention is depending on the grim day and there's a couple different ones around the world now it's five six scenarios a day so you know you're pulling off five six hours worth of rescue a day and to do the reconnaissance on those, to make sure that they'll happen within the time frame that that particular event has allotted, to ascertain the difficulty of them. You know, you don't want everybody passing them, but you don't want everybody failing them either. That becomes a bit of a difficult standard to meet, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you don't know the skill set of all the people uh, that are registered in these events. So, you know, you have to find that happy, happy ground where it's not too, too hard, where one or two people will, you know, progress, but everybody else will not. Um, so finding the happy medium when you are organizing events like this is, uh, very, cr uh, critical and crucial. Well, a lot of what we did with these events is from a North American viewpoint where most of these listeners are, is we looked and said, Sprat level one, NFPA 1006 technician rope and technician confined space and try not to do any tasks that would fall outside of those three JPRs, codes of practice, whatever you want to call them. 
uh, but those skill sets. And it's not to say that that still can't be difficult, but there's definitely, um, you know, make sure that no one can come back and say, well, you know, these are kind of the, the bar that you set and you made me do some sort of, you know, horizontal aid rescue while flying from a, you know, a moonship. No, we didn't do that, right? Like this is the minimum or maximum <laughs> we're going to go with, right? Yeah. All right. Awesome. Now, out of all these competitions that you have attended, which one um, do you remember the most? Well, it's, it's aside funny. from that, maybe the necessarily like the last one, because it's the most recent, but <laughs> which one sticks out the most because you've traveled all over, you know, both as a, as a competitor, as, as a, a volunteer, a worker, um, you know, which one sticks out the most to you? Um, I, I know I researched this. I thought about this question. I don't research thought about it when you had sent it to me. Cause it's, it's come down to kind of two. The, the one I remember the most, is the first one and it was the first one because we were the first north american team to ever compete at grimp day and at the time there wasn't you know the the multitudes of them around the world there was the one in belgium and so we show up and we had no idea what to expect like none whatsoever and so when you start rigging things and everybody gather around and starts taking photos of your rigging you're like we're either doing something horribly wrong or incredibly brilliant. And I can't figure out which one right now. And um, there was a lot of conversations. I mean, we went over kind of with that, you know, fire department rescue sort of attitude at the time, well, not attitude, but like skill set and, and equipment. And um, we were the first team there to ever run MPDs. And that had a lot of interest, but that was what we used here. And obviously it's much easier for us to get that kind of equipment. But we were using a lot of prussics and a lot of tubular webbing, which is pretty much not used over there at all. And so there was a lot of comments about whether our anchors were safe enough with things like wrap two, three pull twos, wrap two pull ones, you know, the way the water knots were tied, how much tail, cause they're just, you know, some people were absolutely against using that sort of stuff. And uh, so that first year, we noticed how slow we were in a lot of things by doing these wrap three pull twos and tying these knots and uh, using prussics instead of mechanical grabs. And, you know, as we progressed through the different years that changed, but that first year when everybody's standing around and staring at you, you're looking at your rigging going, did I miss something here entirely? Like, and it's that nerve wracking thing, right? It's that stress you put upon yourself. And I guess the other one I remember the most is, you know, the first few years you place like 20th out of like 30 or, you know, 18 out of 35 or these sort of things. And then one year, and I can't remember the year, we finished day two at like three in the afternoon. And it was one of those like, did we miss an entire event here or something? There's a couple events we knocked off in like 15 minutes and it was like, huh. And so we, we've got them all. Yeah, we're all checked off we go, we have a shower, we clean up. And I mean, usually we're stumbling into the, the post party, you know, still stinking like sweat and everything. And we show up and that year we came in fifth and it's, it's that countdown as it goes through. And it's like, hey, they still haven't called our name yet. Cause they start from the 30th or the 35th and they move their way up. And uh, you know, that was kind of like that aha moment where, okay, maybe we've actually found the right, you know, equipment, the right, 
skill sets, the right training regime to do this at this point. And uh, since then, I mean, we've done fairly well. I don't think we've come out of a top 10 finish except for once since that year. And we've probably done another seven or eight challenges around the world since then. And yeah, so it was kind of that, you know, validation that the methods that we were doing back home to train teams, because the teams change, right? Um, we're finally getting, you know, bearing some fruit that the, the equipment and the standards and all that were what was required in order to do that sort of competition. Awesome. Yeah, that's, ex that's exciting. Um, obviously, the first event that uh, you attend is you know, something that you're going to remember forever because you walk in completely blind. I remember the same thing for myself when it goes going into, um, the rope trip, just like not knowing at all what to expect and, you know, and it's showing up and then they're like, this is what's happening. And you, and you just look at your teammates and you're like, you know, keep up or bugger off is pretty much <laughs> what we said to each other. We all just looked at each other like you up for it, you up for it okay let's go and i remember that so vividly because it was like you said it was like that stress you're putting on yourself not necessarily what they're putting on you um and just not knowing walking into the unknown and just being comfortable with the uncomfortable at that time yeah and i mean with grip it's a it's a five person rescue team plus you bring your own evaluator that gets tasked out and then your own patient so it's you know, your teammates stress and pressure that, and they're not putting it on you, but you know, as the events go, that, that stress rises for everybody. And then, you know, you've got people walking and following you and a controller from another team, another country looking at what you're doing and you don't have to justify what you're doing, but generally I think most of us in our heads have to start and go, Oh my, you know, am I doing this correctly? Right. Like is, it's just an added stress that you end up putting on yourself. So yeah, it's interesting in that aspect. Absolutely. Um, now we have mentioned that there are these competitions all over the world. Um, now the majority of these competitions are held in Belgium, but where else have these competitions been held and where have you attended? Um, these kind of competitions, like I said, they started in Belgium and Namur, and I think, We've competed since 13 and obviously it was canceled this year because of COVID. Um, but yeah, so we did 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. So I've done seven years in Belgium. There's one called Chow, which is um, the bridge translated into English. And they've been five years, I think. And that was always Taiwan. And they've now started to move it around this October. Barring world travel, they're hoping to do Okinawa and they're going to move that one around a bit. And I've competed in Taiwan twice, uh, once with Namur, the team, the French, the uh, Belgian, sorry, team from Namur. They uh, needed a team member one year, so I added in with them and once on our team. Lifeline is uh, an event similar to this as well in China, in uh, Shanxing, and they've been two years now, and I've been there both years, once as technical advisor, once as a competitor. Uh, Japan did the first one this year. We competed there in February as a team and uh, very interesting there. Uh, North America's done one in 2019 and we were there as staff and we just finished the reconnaissance in March just before the lockdowns hit for the 2021 event. 
And so hopefully there will be something coming up talking about March, 2021 and where that will be occurring. And then I just saw some information about one in Peru in 2021, and they've reached out to some of the organizers. Um, and there's other rescue events. And I, I call these kind of like the grimp events, if I can use it in air quotes, because all of these particular folks have reached out to a, like a common core of people when setting up these events or have traveled to visit, you know, Chow or Grimp Day in the Moor or whatnot, so that it's a similar vibe. It's a, a similar setup. People have a general understanding of what's going to be like. And um, yeah, so those areas now, I hope I haven't missed any, are all um, where they've been occurring. And I think part of doing rescue and doing these events, part of the 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 joy of it part of the learning mechanisms is doing them in foreign countries where english is not the first language because you have to know what you're doing like your skills have to be to the point where someone's not questioning what you're doing because then you get in these long drawn out conversations that just cause more issues where if you're solid in your rigging you're following you know manufacturers instructions generally recognize industry best practices then people look at your rigging and they, they don't comment on it at all because it's like there's nothing here that i can shoot a hole in and just the learning because you have people from other teams either following you or judging you and so that allows them and you because you have people out with other teams as well to bring in new ideas and learn new techniques and that's the big part of Grimp Day. I mean, it's not about placing fifth or fourth or first. I mean, that's all exciting and what have you. But it's about going and being better at the other end of it. It's about going and learning another way to do something, about opening up your mind a little bit in different aspects of the craft to figure out, you know, just other ways to do the same job to meet those people and have those resources around the world that you can tap into if you do have a problem. I mean, that's the biggest takeaway for me. Awesome. Um, so I guess moving on a little bit here, um, if anyone was interested in finding out more about how to register, um, where would they be able to go to get information for this? Um, gripday.com is the website for the one in the more. Outside of that, Facebook, as crazy as it sounds, might be the best place for the information. Grimp Day, Chow, Grimp Japan, Grimp Peru, they all have information on Facebook about the different events. There's pictures, there's videos, uh, dates, uh, people you can contact. Our website at Ronin Rescue, we've done a few blogs in our blog section and some of the podcasts about Grimp Day you know, interviewing our team leads, going over scenarios that have occurred there. So if people are looking to go and compete in one of these, my suggestion to you is to do your research. Um, you don't want to show up and be missing something that disqualifies you from the event. Most of these events, the, like I said, they're running usually about two and a half days now. That first half day is a qualifier. And it's not a qualifier for like your pole position or something. It's a qualifier to assess that you have enough skills that you're not going to be need to be rescued at some point during the next two days. And there's teams that have shown up that have not made the qualifiers. And it's not like they're difficult. 
they have a lot of rope access skills sometimes in the qualifiers. Like um, a lot of them, they, they added into some sort of um, speed event so that they can get a prize for it. I mean, uh, China, the first year, the qualifier was a hundred meter rope climb with a knot pass halfway had to be completed within, I want to say it was 30 minutes as the team. So um or is it 45? Like they, they could only put so many people on the rope. You had so much time per person. You had to hit the knot by a certain time. So basically, if you couldn't ascend rope, if you weren't in fit in enough shape and you couldn't pass a knot, and they just viewed that kind of as the standard and took a look at teams as they did this. And if teams are struggling with that, then they pulled them aside and said, hey, this may not be the event for you. Um, Belgium one year, it was a 40-meter ascend probably a 30 meter re-anchor, a line transfer and a rappel past a knot. And it's, you know, those are very rope access central skills or centric skills, but it kind of then can tell the organizers that yes or no, this, all of these five team members are or not, are, are or are not able to actually perform skills that we would consider at a base level here for this. Awesome. Um, so just to recap that best options are go to the websites that are affiliated with the, each grip day specifically. Um, they can contact you through ronanrescue.com to get more information there and just follow their Facebook pages for, um, additional information, dates, videos, and just get as much information prior to registering and do your research. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of the new teams will get vetted before, you know, as you apply, people will ask what your skill set is. And you'll have to write that down. And if you're an unknown entity, you almost have to come with a reference from somebody else that has done one of these that can say, hey, you know, this team will be okay here uh, because of what's happened in the past where, you know, and it's in it's embarrassing for the team. It's, it's hard on the insurance requirements and a few other things, but it has to happen. And I think one of the years they pulled like three teams off the course on a ladder truck on that first day. And it's like, you know, obviously for those teams, there's huge costs for them to package up all that equipment and fly all of that distance with seven people minimum in order to do that event. So to then just, you know, congratulations, six minutes into the qualifier, you've been told you can't compete for the rest of the two and a half days. It's, it's crushing to those people, but it's also that financial burden that they've, you know, had to endure to get there. So make sure you know the events, you understand the skill sets that are going to be required and you're comfortable with those skill sets. And even within Ronan, I mean, a bit of a tangent here, we, um, we run qualifiers basically for our people to get on the team and we have new spots and, ascend and descend a 90 degree edge it has to be like a smooth motion if you're taking three minutes to sort out a bunch of stuff you're done right like and these are those base skill sets where if i could have any advice to people would be sweat the small stuff go and we tell our team guys take a carabiner put it in your car when you're driving in traffic open and close it hundreds of times both hands upside down so that if someone throws you that carabiner you can grab it either hand, ascertain the orientation and have it clipped in in one motion now. Um, put rope in your car, you know, play with it, tie knots with one hand just so that you have the feel 
and that when you're all of a sudden tying a clove hitch, you can know right away without even looking, just with the hand placement, where the feel of it and go, knots being tied incorrectly. Those small little skills are what gives speed. I mean, everything's ascent, descent, you know, it's base skills, and it's how well you do those base skills depends on how well you're going to do in the event, whether you're going to make it past that introductory phase. And it's sweat that small stuff, climb rope, rappel over edges, all of that sort of stuff. So that kind of dives in deep there. Now, you have mentioned a little bit about the skill sets, and I'm going to go off a little bit off of what you've just said here, but you've kind of touched on the topic of different skill sets between over there in Belgium and over here in North America. So here in North America, if a team is interested in uh, registering one of these, you talked also about how when you worked with uh, CMC there and did it down in the United States, the Grim Day, you talked about you know, Sprat Level 1 certification, 1006, um, you know, rope rescue, confined space rescue skill sets. Um, are we still talking the same skill sets that these people will have to be comfortable with and be able to do over in Belgium? Or is their skill sets drastically different? And are those skill sets you labeled for the North American standard good enough to compete in Belgium? There's two answers to this. Short answer is yes. I'll give you the longer answer. Um, one of the stations we did in North America was a 60 foot ascent. And then you picked up your patient. It was kind of a 90 degree kind of crappy lower edge transition lower with a you know, tow board on it and a bunch of different things on the battleship. Back down, you had to drop them down to a lower level. So you might have been lower in um, 80 or 85 feet. And um, NFPA 1006 does indicate ascend a rope. It is a JPR in 1006. I believe it's an operations JPR. Most fire departments do it lip service. Most training agencies do it lip service. They throw a couple of prussics on the rope. You climb up like five feet. Congratulations. You can kind of get yourself out of a knot or out of a situation where maybe you've jammed up a December, descender. And that's the extent that they give that particular uh, standard, that JPR. And this is why we say rope access level one. If you show up and you're climbing on Prussics 60 feet and you need at least, what, three people to get up there and do a lowering system and get that patient over the edge, you're going to be there all day and there is a time limit on these. Hence the comment about, you know, at least a Sprat or an IRATA, um, ARA, whatever you want to use, level one FISA, um, because you're using different equipment to climb and you're actually a climbing with some sort of efficiency and some sort of speed which is you know speed counts in rescue like don't let anybody tell you differently there is a requirement for speed and so you know that's why we say that about north america and there's teams that came that did ratting for instance up there that you just ratted up um i'm sure people on your podcast will understand the term ratting um and of course teams that just went handle the senders and chest senders just flew by those teams right and so that, you know, is one of those things where you say that kind of level of rope access training and individual skill level is required. Even here, you go over to Europe, the GRIMP system, um, IMP, EMP, uh, one, two, and three, and then CT. 
one and two is basically, oh, I want to say it's a 120 hour course. And then three is like another 80 hours. And then CT is a position, uh, controller technique. Um, it's like the technical advisor for that particular region. And that's a kind of a, a position above that. But their base of training is the same duration of the, the entire 1006 kind of rope program, which is 120 hours for technician. To get to technician in their system, you're over 200 hours. So their system obviously has some extra stuff in it. Part of this extra stuff is the ability to do what we would term over here as rope access. They horizontal aid, they ascend and descend fixed lines, they pass knots, they do what we would call as, you know, small re-anchoring. Uh, they have different terminology for it. However, that is part of their basic rope rescue grimp training, the IMP levels. And so when you go over there to compete, like the first years we went in, we had no idea that. And one of the rescues year one was what we would consider to be a rescue from ascent in uh, rope access. You give a rescue team, like a fire department, traditional rescue team, ascend this rope 75 feet and pick that person out of ascent. Okay. Wow. Right. Like that's for a traditional fire department rescue team. And we were climbing more of the rope access style, but even that, like we're putting up, you know, rope grabs above there using embays, lifting them off of systems, lowering them into other systems. It's what we were trained with, what we were taught with. The guys beside us are doing crawl to crawl bumps. You know, it's taken us 17 minutes. It's taking them like two and a half, right? And that's where some of this eye opener comes from. And the only way to get your eyes open is to go and look at the way other people do business. And so, yeah, from that point of view, from me, having that rope access, a minimum to walk across and compete at any of these events, your members have to be 1,006 rope tower and have at least rope access level one and your team lead and one of your either rescuers or riggers should be a two. And we really noticed that over the years as we slowly integrated rope access trained personnel into our teams, there was just certain scenarios that, yeah, just take the two twos or take, the, then we've got threes and it's, now we have teams that are almost all entirely, I don't think there's anybody less than two on the team. I mean, heck, the patient's a level one for Pete's sake. Um, right. And now it's all threes and twos plus guys that have advanced rescue training and other training, um, sort of a tangent, but to continue on is this, this other training, these other disciplines, I now climb, if I'm going over, you know, 50 feet. So what's that like 15 meter, I go to an arb technique. Mm -hmm. I still yeah. keep a handle to send her on to stay legal, but I'll go foot, knee, chest, throw my handle on there. A lot of them ditch it, but I still try to keep within what is legal in our, you know, geographic jurisdiction. Yeah. But anything over 50 feet now, I run neat, you know, foot, knee, chest and climb that way. So I'm not burning out my arms and I'm using my big leg muscles. And a lot of these climbs at these events to climb a hundred meters on the evaluation day, like the assessment day is not out of the norm. And you might do it all at once. or you might be doing a 40 and a 40 and a 20 or something. But climbing 330 feet of rope that day is pretty much a guarantee and rappelling 330 feet of rope and at least hitting a 90 degree edge in there, maybe halfway down the rope is all just like be prepared to walk in and do that. 
All right. Awesome. Well, thank you for <laughs> that enlightening conversation. <laughs> um, it was just kind of was something that spurred in my head is like, all right, well, we are talking about different stands. You spoke about what it's like there and you know, you spoke about what it's like here, but obviously the majority of these people are for, that are listening to this or watching this are from North America. And if they are interested in getting into it, what do they need to expect? So thank you very much for that. Um, next here is, uh, if there was a piece of gear that you could go with, you couldn't go without, uh, what would it be and why? And it's funny because I sat and I thought about this question and I wrote down my answer and I'm like, I don't know if I could actually say that without getting laughed off a podcast. <laughs> so I said, you know, I'm going to leave the answer and I come back and I look at it and I'm like, no, still the answer. And as crazy as it sounds, my Evo 2 Arm Pro boots. And I mean, you can give me a rig, a Sirius, an ID, a clutch. Give me an ATC guide. I don't really care. I can make it work. I can make it whistle stop. I can repel. It may not be as efficient as the next thing. And obviously, there's different levels of efficiencies. Give me, you know, a Petzl AMD. Give me a Rock D. Give me a CMC. Give me a Sterling Carabiner. It's, I, my muscle memory is enough with those. So you can move equipment in and out. A lot of times we have to. A lot of times we get the rope when we show up in country. Oh, this is 10.5 pencil semi-static. This is going to be fun. This is 10 and a half camp. This is 11.2 current, right? And those, for people that know the industry and are listening to this, running a 10.5 semi-static and 11.2 static, those create different nuances in your rigging because there's different things you have to take into account. So that's fine. We're used to going there, getting a different litter, taking a day with it and playing with it. But what kills me the most, these events, I do up to 10 kilometers a day on my feet. You're going over edges, you're climbing ladders, you're climbing onto grading, you're doing 90 degree edge transitions, you're being that edge man out over the wall. So you've got 100% pressure on your feet for a half an hour while you're helping move things over and up and down edges. Then you're sprinting to the next scenario. You're doing river crossings. Yes, we've done river crossings in China on these. Um, you're rock climbing some things. And I mean, I use rock climbing loosely where, you know, it's you know, maybe like a five, six sort of terrain. We've done rescue from Via Ferrata. So you need a, a piece of footwear that will protect my weak ankles from years of military service that I can do 10 kilometers a day in that gives me the protection I need for both industrial and, you know, wilderness style environments that I can do limited climbing in. And yeah, so I've competed in vans. I destroyed a pair of athletic insoles in those vans and basically ripped the toe right off the edge of the van in two and a half days. I've competed in, approach shoes and i just find i rolled my ankles too many times for approach shoes but i mean that's a good alternative so i mean if there's one thing i bring and it literally comes down to it i mean i like having my own harness and my own carabiners and stuff but i've i have competed under different harnesses with different carabiners the one thing i always have with me is those boots because it's just that level of comfort and i just it's kind of a weird little, you know, pansy pathetic answer. I get it, but it's, uh, it's one thing I can't go without. I'm not even going to deny what you just said because I support it 100%. Um, 
being uh, being a competitor myself, uh, I did one competition in some Nike shoes. It was horrible. Um, and then after that, I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to my La Sportiva or my Scarpa mountaineering boots. So depending on the time of the year, I either bring in my winter Alpine boots or my, uh, win- or my summer Alpine boots. Both of them are Gore-Tex. Didn't matter if I was inside, outside, or what otherwise. Um, but yeah, you can't replace that with anything. The support, the sturdiness, the durability, the uh, ability to edge when you need to edge, like you can't replace that with anything. So what you said is absolutely on point. I couldn't agree with that piece of gear more than myself. <laughs> wow, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> um, and you know, like you said about the foot ascender, right? If you're wearing, I'm going to speak from personal experience here. I have climbed countless, countless ropes with a pentane on my foot with numerous different types of shoes, approach shoes, uh, Nike runners, uh, Asics, um, mountaineering boots. And it does, does not compare. So like the sturdiness just helps out the flow of that foot ascender, like no other. Also, it doesn't rip your ankles to shreds. And I was just about to you say, don't it's roll, the knock you don't into roll. the ankle as you're oh, Yeah, you don't roll your ankle. You don't shred your uh, ankle up, anything like that. Um, and that was a big thing for our team was, you know, even when we were changing out teammates throughout competitions, it was like, you need to have good boots. I just want to be comfortable wearing shoes. No, that's not an option here. <laughs> yeah, so footwear is incredibly important. So kudos. Definitely yeah. support that. <laughs> so like you said, you're like, oh, I, I, someone's going to laugh at me about this. I I support you 100, 110%. <laughs> I think it's one of those things as you do different training, you see different devices. And if you're, you know, you have different levels of comfort with different devices, but we're usually there a couple of days early. I can blast the cobwebs out. I mean, if you talk about foot ascenders. I think I've climbed Petzl, CT, ISC, and Harkins foot ascender. They're all slightly different techniques. That's what the days before are there for, just to kind of move that through. But if you show up in clothes that don't fit, like it's not like a lot of times you can even go shopping. Like the one in China, Shaanxing is a massive city. It's like 33 million people or something. But we're in the bush like an hour away. Like we could go up the street. No one speaks English. And we managed to buy some beers to have during, comp- you know, like before the competition. But Besides that, there's no place like, oh, I blew a shoelace. Like, good luck. Like, there's nothing you're going to find to buy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, absolutely. Cool. Well, thank you very much. That's what I have for today. Um, Before we head out of here, how can people uh, track you down on social media? Um, Social media, we have Instagram, Ronin Rescue, uh, podcast, um, Ronin Rescue. um, We got Twitter. We got Facebook. We have websites. So yeah, just go out there, search for us. I'm sure you'll find us in there somewhere or another. Awesome. Well, thank you again for uh, uh, taking in today's episode. Um, I had a blast talking about the difference between Crimp Day here. So um, obviously my background was with the rope trip, slightly different, but yeah, it definitely interests me. Like this uh, competition of Crimp Day definitely interests me. Um, and when I was there to watch Grimp Day myself, I was super excited because 
you know, it's not stuff that we get to do in the rope access industry. It's drastically different, um, way more diverse equipment, um, especially here in North America. Majority of rope access companies here in North America uh, stick to the standard quo of like working with rigs and IDs and, you know, ASAPs and ducks. Um, you get the occasional company out there using different backup devices, but for the most part, you're pretty much backup devices are going to be the same. Descenders are both the same. Harnesses, there's a couple uh, variations there, but for the most part, it's this all the same. Really, it doesn't depend. It doesn't really matter what uh, rope access company you work for. So, yeah, I had a blast watching you guys at Grimp Day uh, there in 2018 in Belgium. And, um, I was really excited to go to the United States one, uh, because let's be honest, who would not enjoy watching competition on a battleship? Let's be honest. Well, <laughs> that was, and, that and was and there may be some metal involved in the 2021 one. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'll definitely be doing my best to get down there and, um, hopefully I'd be able to, uh, weasel my way into there to do some podcasts like live on on location podcast i would just die to do something like that that'd be awesome i can certainly um send you the information of the people send me a, a message offline from this and uh, i can put you in charge of the marketing people there yeah it would be so fun to dive down there and go and do do that um and really make this podcast what i hope for it to be is you know in, encompassing all the vertical world um and the individuals that work within it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, thank you for having me on again. And I love talking about Grimp Day. If people have questions or want to go, I highly recommend you do this. I think we've got over 30 staff now in Ronan that have attended a Grimp Day. And it just brings their game to the next level. It's There's just no other way to, to say it, to, to push through adversities, self-imposed stress, stress put on by time limits. It's live rescues it's yeah i mean there's nothing else you can really do besides doing real rescues so yeah all right well that's it so uh thank you again for uh taking the time to do this and we'll chat later all right talk to you later cheers bye All right. Well, thank you very much for tuning into today's episode. I hope you enjoyed that. That was a great conversation we had with Mark talking about Grimp Day and what to expect if you want to register yourself. So make sure to follow him on Instagram, Facebook, or check them out at RoninRescue.com. Also, make sure to like this video, subscribe, leave a comment if you have any questions for myself or him. And I will see you on the next one.